baby. What would you say is the horniest <laughs> musical? Um, <laughs> God. There's only one right answer. Yeah? Jesus Christ Superstar. Uh, yeah. Where is the lie? I mean, a lot, it's kind of funny how like, I mean, a lot of biblical stuff is like super horny. Oh yeah, I mean, fuck. Song of Songs is just about fucking. Yeah. And then, I mean, it's funny how it's played a little bit of a game of telephone and use like fear mongering into like this idea of abstinence in Christianity when like, Jesus fucked. <laughs> <laughs> you see that man? He's ripped. <laughs> so I'm, I'm just going to get like. Carpenter? You know, yeah. He's sexy. Yeah. Hanging out with the sex workers all the time. That's a good answer. I, I, I back that answer. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, let me try to cool down your face, you know. Right? Hey. Let me try to cool down your face a bit. I don't want to keep singing. I sing every episode. Well, I guess that makes, uh, that's a pretty good connection, huh? Hey, babe. Yeah, babe? Remember that time we watched The Wicker Man? You mean the 1973 British folk horror film directed by Robin Hardy? Yup. Not the Nicolas Cage redo? Not the bees! Not the bees! (laughs) so bad correct i know i know it's very very different so i'm nicole i am topher and we're the horror babes correct not full of bees not full of bees not today anyway i am not three bees in a suit correct we would like to thank you guys for joining us for this amazing month full of soundtracks that slap 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 so just in case you're new here i'll give a quick rundown of what's about to happen we'll follow that normal format my friends which means that topher will take us through who made this thing shout out the cast and the crew and then i will take us through the plot and then in our third installment we will analyze said plot and talk more about the soundtrack but first i know we have some horror news because we watched some kick-ass trailers sure did yeah. so first up um dash cam it's coming out june 3rd um this is from rob savage who uh has a like, currently has kind of a, a vibe, which is that he keeps making movies about the pandemic. Um, his uh, previous movie was Host, which came out in 2020. Um, it's about a bunch of friends, like six or seven friends, who are trying to host a seance over Zoom. Mm-hmm. Um, it's solid. It's not my favorite, but it's solid. But this new one, yeah, Dashcam, is. Let's see, where's the news release? There it is. So it's. Uh, I'm just gonna read the the uh, release from Variety. Um, Dashcam, the divisive horror movie from Rob Savage and Bloomhouse, has revealed a trailer ahead of its release in theaters and on demand on June 3rd. Per the official synopsis, quote, At the start of the pandemic, an indulgent and self-deluded live-streaming improv musician abandons L.A. for London, steals her ex-bandmate's car, and makes the wrong decision to give a ride to an elderly woman who is not what she seems, end quote. So this is a found footage horror film about a, quote, noxious pandemic denier who flouts all contagion prevention protocols. See, I uh, knew we were going to get some pandemic horror films. Yeah. Um, so like I said, he had a pandemic set film um, in 2020 called Host. Um, yeah. And they're trying to do a seance over Zoom. It's a, like I said, it's interesting. It's, again, not my favorite, but it was fun. It's an interesting idea. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm excited to see this. It'll, it looks like it's going to be good. It's starting off with this like found footage, like live stream thing. Yeah. I like that they're not giving us too much because I think that that... Um 
is important with with found footage films. Yeah, and I don't know how much of it's going to be all found footage. I'm interested to see what he does with it. Yeah. Um, I would like to see him play a little more with cinematography, but it should. Be, I like the idea of at least part of it being a live stream and mm-hmm. getting that like text down the side of it. It's a really good. It's a great teaser. I've watched yeah. it a couple of times now. Yeah. Yeah, and it's a great example. It seems of um, kind of keeping up with like the technology and and just you know the yeah, and it's a really great example of like keeping up with technology and keeping up with like what people actually can relate to, um, right? Like the Twitch stream or you know like stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, it's it's got a Twitch vibe or like an Instagram live or something like that. Yeah, yeah, I think that I think that's a a pretty great example of using a tool. Uh, kind of updating your technology and being able to and not being limited by that but being able to increase your creativity with it yeah so the other one we got is one i am beyond excited for (laughs) uh helena rain Uh, this is going to be her first english language uh director uh job directing job Mm mm-hmm and uh, she, I like her. I've seen her in a bunch of stuff. Um, she is like one of um, Chris Van Houten's good friends. Yeah. But I think this looks so fun. And it is bodies, bodies, bodies. So yeah, uh, we <laughs> uh, this trailer looks amazing. Um, we've got we've got Amanda Stenberg, Pete Davidson, and this amazing Lee Pace role that I cannot wait to see where he just plays like, you know, in the friend group where you just have that weird older dude who is not your age at all. Like he's a completely different generation. He's probably sold you weed before. And just like hangs out and this is like too weird. Um, but yeah, the, the a bunch of friends decide to play this game called Bodies, 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 which is like a... a it's like a, it's like murder, right? Where you have to one person's a murderer and everybody like else has clue, to figure out who it is. It's but more interactive. It's not like yeah. a board game. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but one of them actually dies, and the trailer, just go watch it. It's fantastic. No, it looks great. It looks like there are a lot of really great jokes in it, kind of making fun of um, both millennials and Gen Z, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, fun. Yeah, so, and internet culture and things like that, but yeah. it still looks like it's going to be a good slasher. Definitely. And a, and a great whodunit. Like, this is, this is giving me, like, kind of Scream vibes. Yeah. You know, like, it's definitely trying to be that. Oh, for sure, for but sure. But we both we you, y'all know horror babes. We love a good slasher. Oh yeah, it's a it's a fun romp. But yeah, I'm uh, stuck to see both of those. Yeah, but, and I believe that concludes our horror news. So yeah, that's all I got for now. Might as well move on to who made this thing. Yeah, so I guess I'll keep talking. <laughs> I guess so. I hope you guys aren't getting tired of his voice. It's I have gravitas. Oh. So yeah, like you said, The Wicker Man was a 1973 film directed by Robin Hardy and written by Anthony Schaefer, um, loosely based on a novel by David Penner. Yeah. Both uh, Hardy and Schaefer were more theater than they were film or television. Right. Um, this is their definitely their biggest film. Um, Hardy eventually ended up doing a spiritual sequel to this. Um, I have not seen that. It came out in like 2010 or 11, um, but I haven't seen that I one. I heard it's kind of chaotic. It sounds like it was. <laughs> Uh, it was, he wrote his, he wrote a novel called Cowboys for Christ, and that's what he based the, the spiritual sequel to this on. So I have no doubt that it is chaotic as fuck. I need like I need a shirt that says that. Um, yeah. <laughs> so tying it back into our Christians that are weirdly horny, we have Ed, Edward Woodward as Sergeant Howie, the puritanical police officer investigating the disappearance of a child. Mm. The amazing. I will love him forever. May he rest in Valhalla. Christopher Lee as Lord Summer Isle. God, Christopher Lee. I just want to interject here and let you guys know how hard Christopher Lee went for this movie. Not just like, I'm not talking about acting. 
at all. I am talking about the extracurricular bullshit that he did for this film. So, he, first of all, he acted in this movie for free. Yes. For free. Yeah, zero dollars. Zero, zero. No bank statement. Um, and then he... He fought tooth and nail for this movie. He was like, this is the best thing I've ever done. This movie (laughs) is everything. He was like promoting this movie for free once again, for free. And was like, was like, I know I've been a part of like some really cool stuff, but this is the best thing I've ever been a part of. Everyone needs to go see it. He's still to like, to his deathbed was like, that's the best thing I've ever done. He loves it. He's obsessed. Yeah. So just a little, you know, background on that <laughs> i yeah christopher lee will re- forever remain the baddest of asses i mean the dude is the literal inspiration for james bond yeah his cousin is ein fleming yeah he was the spy during world war ii he was uh part of the ministry of ungentlemanly affairs with Roald Dahl. yeah he fucked every senator's wife <laughs> He is such an interesting person and he was at the uh last use of the guillotine Oh. Yeah, actually after this film, 1977. Imagine the- being like one of his like grandchildren and having <laughs> right. to hear these stories. You know what I mean? Like I would just be like You're just never ever going to be good enough. Like, "Okay, grandpa, time to eat lunch." <laughs> like, you know, like what? God. Uh no, but like even so I know you don't love Lord of the Rings, but I do. And so he plays No. You I, with I, two I, tattoos. <laughs> Dedicated to your... Multiple copies of each book. (laughs) Yeah. No. All of them annotated by me. You don't even... You don't even have to, like, tell people that. They could just look at me. (laughs) (laughs) That guy's written notes on The Hobbit. God. Uh, And written multiple papers on it. (laughs) Anyway, so he plays uh, a good wizard turned bad in... uh, Two Towers, uh, the second film. And Peter Jackson... I love that idea. You make the good wizards go bad. Ooh. 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 Just like Elphaba. Ooh. So, anyway, so he's playing this this wizard, and at one point, uh, spoilers for this 20-year-old movie and 70 or 80-year-old book, he gets stabbed in the back. Yeah. And Peter Jackson's like, mm, that sounds not right. Like, it doesn't sound like you're being stabbed in the back. Like, that's not what someone getting stabbed in the back sounds like. And Christopher Lee just turns around, looks him dead in the eye, goes, Peter, have you ever stabbed anyone in the back? And Peter Jackson just looks at him and goes, oh. He goes, I have. Okay, time for lunch, Grandpa. Not to mention the man was, he joined a metal band called Charlemagne. And they have the worst music videos of all time that I've seen so many times. <laughs> I feel like he might just be like the definition of like, fuck it, okay. He really is. He's just like... That's how he answers everything. Fuck it, okay. You want to play Dracula? Yes. Sure. <laughs> uh, but yeah, after that long rant about how amazing Christopher Lee is. I mean, there's a lot there. Yeah. We would there's, be I, I have not scratched the surface. Not, yeah. yeah. Oh, Champion Fencer? Like, what the fuck? We could do a whole episode just on Christopher Lee, but that's not what this podcast is about. I'm trying. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so we have a bunch of other uh, folks who worked in horror 
primarily, and were like well known for doing horror films at this time. Yeah, Edward Woodward's the only one who wasn't actually. I think. Um, but we have Diane Salento as Miss Rose, Britt Eklund as Willow, Ingrid Pitt as the librarian, and Lindsay Kemp as Alder McGregor. Yes. I do love, it's so funny when you find out that every person who's named in this film uh, is named after a, a plant. Yeah, no, it's true. Because we have Rowan, we've got Oak, we've got Briar, all of that. It's amazing. Um, it is. Fu- I do love that a bunch of our crew made uh, made cameos in the movie. So our director, Robin Hardy, was the minister in that weird sequence when Sergeant Howie is going through his uh, his ecstasy moment, <laughs> his first night in town. And uh, oh, where he's um, like get delivering a sermon, but the minister's behind him. That's Robin Hardy. Oh, yeah. And then also in his first night when he has um, hot naked chick on the other side who is, quote unquote, calling him mm-hmm. um, and he starts sweating and all that, <laughs> all that horny mess. So that girl's boyfriend tried to get this film banned. Oh, my God. Because misogyny. And also, <laughs> like, he, he didn't like. So she had a she had a double for her yeah. lower half. Right. But not for her top half. But he still wanted to get the film banned because he didn't want people to, like, see her or, I guess, perceive her as being naked, which, fuck off. She can make her own choices. Yeah, and she's hot as shit. She should be showing that shit off, man. Even if she wasn't. If she wants to, like, let her fucking do it. Yeah, let a a person be naked. Like, it's not hard. Let a bitch live. Exactly. You know what I mean? Damn right. You know what I mean? Damn right. Come on, girl. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to throw that out there because, of course. Yeah, it's a nice behind the scenes of, fuck you, dude. Yeah. Um, misogyny. <laughs> yeah, fuck that shit. Not here. Let her do what she wants. Goddamn right. Yes. Uh, so the other cameo we have is our composer and just all-around badass, Paul Giovanni. Um, he's the musician who keeps popping up. Like, whenever you see a musician's face, like, deep in, like, when they're, they have the, the guy who just keeps popping up in the front of frame. And singing songs. That's him. Oh. Yeah. I guess I didn't know what he looked like. This is what he's most famous for. Yeah, I mean, he he is... Paul Giovanni had a really interesting life. Um, what's great... Like, one of the things I love about him is that he was a openly queer man in New York in the 70s and 80s. Unfortunately, he did die of um, HIV-related complications in mm-hmm. 1990. Um, but yeah, he created the band Magnet... For this film. Yes. And they put up some absolute bangers, hence why we're covering it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so he, he worked a lot. Um, he directed on Broadway um, and wrote... Uh, he wrote and directed for Broadway a bunch. He did some musicals, um, some straight plays. Like he's He was kind of like us. I mean, he was a guy who just worked in New York, just doing like small a lot of small side stuff. Um and had a big pop with, with this movie, which is awesome. Good for him, you know? Um, our DP was Harry Waxman. Uh, he also shot another one of my favorite movies, Flash Gordon. Flash Gordon? Yeah, the one with the Queen soundtrack. Oh, right, yeah. Flash. <laughs> our art direction was from Seamus Flannery. This is also, yeah, this is definitely... like For most of the people on this film, this is their most well-known yeah. work. Um, and definitely want to shout out our costume designer because the costumes are amazing in this. Sue Yelland. Yeah. Who also did Superman 2, which is, also has fantastic costume design. Love that. Yeah. This is a 
absolute classic. Not even a cult classic. Like it was when it came out, everybody was like, "This is the best movie of all time." Well, it did. Re- it didn't. It wasn't really well received in the box office, but I think it immediately developed a cult following, though. Yeah, like, and it was it a critical darling. Yeah, it wasn't. Um, like it didn't make a lot of money at the box office, but it um, instead of being one of those cult classics that became a cult favorite like years later, which normally we talk about movies who were maybe just a little bit ahead of their time, right? And then people kind of become obsessed with it, and you John know, John Carpenter's entire career. Right, yeah, 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 and a lot of other movies that we've 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 definitely covered. Yeah, Raimi um, is also on that list. Yeah. But this one is a uh, is a little bit different because not it wasn't widely received. Like it wasn't like a box office hit, but the people who it did attract were like obsessed with it. Yeah, it became everybody's favorite movie. Yeah. And again, critics absolutely adored this. It's still ranked as like one of the scariest movies of all time by multiple lists. Yeah, which I think. Um, I think sometimes box office statistics can also be related just to just like the uh, the PR of it as well, like the right. um, and also the uh, how the advertisements were dealt. Right. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't no, necessarily totally. marketing, mean marketing. Can marketing be really is huge. Um, and so I mean, I don't I don't know how this was marketed if it was marketed well or if nobody knew it was coming out. Like I don't know. Um, but yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. It became it became everybody's favorite movie who saw it. Um, and then it's also, we'll talk about this a little bit later, but it, it, it has influenced a number of people's favorite Good movies Lord, now. Yeah. Um, so it's a very important, uh, film in, in horror history, really. Yeah. In folk horror specifically. Exactly. Yeah. No, this is like the original, like there are other folk horror films. Hell, we've covered some on this that were older than this, but this is the one that became the template. Yeah. For sure. Um, yeah, it was, uh, like you said, it was a small release, um, but it cost about 500,000 pounds in 1973 money, and I have no idea what that means. Yeah. Um, and like you said, it didn't even make $100,000 back. Right. Um, all that's, all that being said, though, I, I, god damn, this movie's amazing. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> um, but before we get into how great it is and heap all the praise on it, um, why don't you tell us about the plot? Okie dokie. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like you said, we have Police Sergeant Neil Howie, who uh, goes by seaplane to the remote island Summer Isle to investigate the disappearance of a young girl, Rowan Morrison. And yeah, we're in the, the Hebrides in Scotland. Yeah. So he's gotten like an anonymous letter. Yeah, a tip or something like that. Yeah. And he's an, he's a devout Christian. That's a very important thing to note about Howie. Um, he's pretty disturbed to find that the Islanders are paying homage to the pagan Celtic gods of their ancestors. There's a lot of like... Um, There's a field orgy. Yeah, honestly, this looks like a dope ass island. I would, I want to move there. Ladies just like dancing around. They're like drinking. Like it looks. I don't know, man. Body improvised songs in the pub. It's what I imagine Fire Island to be. <laughs> it's P Town in the seventies. You know, like come on, let's yeah. go. It, um, it looks dope. I, I would, I want to move to this island. I will be a part of this cult gladly. Yeah. Um, and they also, you know, they include children as part of the May Day celebrations, which sound familiar, my Midsummer fans. Um, <laughs> and then they teach children the phallic association of the maypole. Dope. Um, and then they place toads in their mouths to cure sore throats, which, sure. Cute. Because they like, go croaky croaky. I feel like we do worse things than that. I don't think that's... <laughs> I've put worse things in my mouth. Yeah. 
And then I've watched it happen. Um, and then... <laughs> <laughs> and so it's kind of strange, like, whenever he's, like, trying to ask questions about this disappearance or he's trying to get... He's trying to investigate. They're very... They're either dodging his questions or they're pretending like it hasn't happened. Like, it's kind of weird. Um, they're kind of claiming that this person never existed. Like, all of these weird ways of dodging these questions. And they end up... Ans- Miss Rose ends up answering it when he finds out. But, yeah, it's like... Yeah. It, there's something weird going on, for sure. Yeah. Um, And then he's staying at this inn called the Green Man, the Green Man Inn. Um, he notices a series of photographs celebrating the annual harvest, which um, each of them features a young girl as the May Queen. Again, Midsummer fans, mm-hmm. hello. Um, the photograph of the most recent celebration is missing, and the landlord tells him it was broken. Mm-hmm. And then he goes to the local school. He asks students about Rowan, and they all deny her existence. He checks the school register and finds her name. And then he questions a school teacher who directs him to Rowan's grave. Right. And then he meets uh, the island's leader, Lord Summer Isle, grandson of a Victorian agronomist, to get permission for... To exhume her body. Yeah, to... Yeah, exactly. So then Summer Isle explains that his grandfather developed strains of fruit trees that would prosper in Scotland's climate and encourage the belief that old gods would use the new strains to bring prosperity to the island. And then due to bountiful harvest, the island's inhabitants gradually embraced paganism. Yeah, it's this great speech that he gives um, because he's like, my grandfather did it because it was useful. My father did it because he loved it. He truly believed. And somewhere else is the same of himself. And then when he he's, he's digging the grave, digging it up, um, he finds that the coffin contains only the carcass of a hare, not a rabbit, a not hare. a bunny, not a silly a hare. rabbit, a hare. A hare. Direct quote. Um, <laughs> and then he also finds the missing harvest photograph showing Rowan standing amidst empty boxes. The harvest had failed. Oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah, because he asked for it. He's like, uh, he's like, uh, she, uh, our horny uh, barmaid. Yes. <laughs> Uh, what do you have for afters? Because he's like, oh, why is all this food come from a can? Why is this broad bean turquoise? Like, what the yeah. fuck is all of this? And she's like, some things are some things in an international state are more colorful. Mm-hmm. Definitely trying to like get his sweat on. And then he's like, she's like, what do you have for afters? Clearly, say, trying to get him to say like that coochie, but <laughs> he says an apple. <laughs> And she's like, no apples. It's like, On our island, known for a bountiful harvest. <laughs> and then she, she's like, you can have some peaches and cream. And he's like, from a can, I assume. And she's just like, mm. yep. <laughs> um, so then his research reveals that a human sacrifice is offered to the gods in the event of crop failure. He concludes that Rowan is alive and will soon be sacrificed to ensure a successful harvest. So then he seeks assistance from... The mainland and how he returns to his airplane to discover it no longer functions and its radio is completely damaged. He can't call or leave or leave. Yeah. Um, so later that day during the May Day celebration, he subdues the innkeeper and steals his costume and mask. Whacks him over the head with a damn candlestick. Like, yeah. Po- police brutality much? Like, right? come on. Like, All Jesus. cops are bastards. Yeah. Um, and then so... He's taking on, like, this character of, like, Punch or, you know, like, the Like fool. Punch and Judy, yeah. Yeah. 
Um, so he's going to try to infiltrate this May Day parade. Rowan is eventually revealed, like, in but this not cave. not after fucking Summer Isle gives him so much shit. Yeah. He's like, you call that dancing? Are you, were you drinking before already? Like, yeah. And, like, grabs him by the mask nose and puts him in the, uh, the chopping uh, circle. I want to say I'm obsessed with these masks. Yeah, like, amazing. when he's trying to start up his seaplane and... Um, and they all kind of peek over the over mm-hmm. the cliff, and I'm just like, oh, that's creepy because they're not brightly colored. They look almost almost like real, like like the 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 hair mask is like gray. It's not. Yeah. It, they're not like multicolored, like clownish. They're like very kind of real looking. Right. Um, and it's it's very cool in a creepy way. Yeah, and I also love that like. One, Christopher Lee gave this role a thousand percent because his costume is amazing in this moment with the mm-hmm. like white face paint, the black hair, the yellow dress. Like he is full on just in a dress, singing, dancing, cavorting. I I love it. Yeah. No, I, again, he gave 150 percent mm-hmm. um, for free. Yeah. And <laughs> for uh, zero dollars. Yeah. <laughs> And then Howie ends up setting her free and flees with her into a cave. He gets out of it, and they're intercepted by the islanders, um, and Rowan happily returns to them. Did I do it right? Yeah. You were perfect. Like, yeah. Yeah. They're all so proud of her, and I love it. It's cute. And the reason for that is she was a it's a it's a cat mouse situation here it's a ruse it's a ruse summer isle tells howie that rowan was never the intended sacrifice howie is he fits their god's four requirements one he came of his own free will two has the power of a king by representing the law three is a virgin (laughs) nerd (laughs) nerd um four is a fool yep so, Howie warns Summer Isle and the Islanders that the crops are failing due to the unsuitability of the climate, not the fucking sacrifice. And that, I believe in science and God! <laughs> and that the villagers will turn on Summer Isle and sacrifice him next summer when the next harvest fails again, but his pleas are ignored. The villagers force Howie inside a giant wicker man statue along Name with drop. various animals, which... Okay, so this Wicker Man statue was actually based on a real thing. Yes. A real thing that was built. It looks very, very similar. Um, I have a couple of things to say about that once I finish up this last, this finale moment of this movie. Um, Along with various animals, one being a goat that ended up peeing on him. Um, (laughs) He deserves it. And then set it ablaze and surround it, singing the Middle English folk song, Sumer is... Ooh, I'm not saying that. Sumer is a kuminin. Summer is a coming in. Um, inside the Wicker Man, Howie recites Psalm 23 and prays to God before cursing the islanders as he and the animals burn to death. The head of the Wicker Man collapses in flames, revealing the setting sun, which is a gorgeous shot. Oh my God, there's so many amazing shots in this movie. And then that's it. But yeah. So in that last scene, they actually had him... So, okay, um, the actor that plays um, Howie uh, refused to see the Wicker Man... Um, like on set until they were shooting that scene. So, That's awesome. So his first uh, reveal of that, of that, like his his reaction to it is real. That's awesome. Um, and then another thing that happens. So this is really unfortunate, and I I, I hope that uh, we you know I I look down on this this style of filmmaking. Um, 
For sure. So they put a bunch of those animals, they put like goats and everything um, in the top of the wicker man. Mm -hmm. Um, And then they had him underneath. So they actually had all of them in there and actually lit it on fire while they were there. The goats got so scared that they peed on him. Holy shit. Which like, yeah, maybe, maybe when they were making this movie, that was the only way to do this. But I, I, I do not promote that is, that is straight up animal cruelty. And I do not promote that. Um, Scaring them so much that they peed. Like, sure, it's funny that they peed on him, but <laughs> it's not funny that you scared them so much that they actually peed. That you put them in such... You put them in such distress. Like, that's yeah. not cool. Um, just to make your little film. Like, no. Yeah. No animal's um, well-being is, is worth that. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of like my interesting tidbit about... or couple things about um, the end of this movie. Yeah. So, this was your first time seeing this. It was, Yeah. Was I right that it is the perfect you movie? In a way, yeah. Um, I it checks some boxes. Horny horror musical. Yeah, I love. I do love. Um, and I'll, 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 I guess just launch right into um, the soundtrack that slaps here. Um, I love that this is in a very musical format. It makes sense that he worked on plays and whatnot after mm-hmm. this. Um, yeah, both of them were West End and uh, Broadway guys. Yeah, it makes complete sense because even like yes, you have the characters kind of singing either together in like the pub or you have or you have her singing in her bedroom. Like it is definitely set up like a musical in that way. But even apart from that, it is the score throughout is set up as a musical, mm-hmm. um, where the only time that you don't have music is when there's like a huge realization, there's a reveal, there. Um, that's when the score goes silent and that's you as an audience member that's their tool to tell you like oh shit yeah pay attention sort of because you've you've been kind of like either lulled by this music or you're feeling the suspense blah 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 but once it cuts out that's when it's a little bit jarring because you're used to the music at that point yeah and this movie does take a long time to become a proper horror film definitely it's like third act Mm-hmm. Um, is when it actually takes that turn, which they did it just in time for me because I was starting to kind of lose interest. And then you get the May Day celebration. Yeah. Um, and, and I was like, OK, now now we're into kind of like the horror bits of this, um, because before this, it's kind of just like a quirky, bizarre movie. Right. Where you're just kind of like, I don't know what's going to happen. And the music, again, helps a lot with this where. I love, um, obviously we have in horror a lot of use of like minor chords, right. like, you know, um, minor keys and, and whatnot. So I love that when he arrives in the uh, seaplane at first, you kind of get this very like low minor bass. Yeah. So it's kind of almost like that. I keep bringing up Jaws, but Jaws just like is the quintessential, like the it's most popular. Probably the best horror score of all time. Yeah. Well, it's like, it's the most popular, um, oh shit, something's about to happen, impending doom. Right. Like it's been used in pop culture and in conversations. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's that popular. So I bring it back to that because this kind of gives you that foreboding, like shit's about to go down without you even knowing it. Because it's this like low baseline kind of like hitting these very off-putting um, melodies and everything, so it's like, and it and it sticks with that throughout the throughout the um, score. Like you've got 
you've got our kind of like whimsical naked fairy in her room, like singing this song, like trying mm-hmm. to seduce him. And it's very lighthearted, but yet it's like a little bit creepy when she starts banging on the wall and like, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. So they're really using percussion. They're using music. They're using um, underscore. They're using um, different melodies to kind of give you... Um, to kind of offset your expectations because when they're all in the pub and they're singing that like funny song all together, you feel this like sense of camaraderie and like this, you know, like, oh, this is a community. And, and it feels very improvised, which is a very common, th- they, that is a common traditional thing yeah. um, in the more Celtic regions of the world. Yeah, and I love that we decided to um, cover this one because the soundtrack is very different from all of the ones that we've covered um, this month. This month we've kind of covered, you know, we started with Studio 666, mm-hmm. um, which is obviously a uh, rock-inspired uh, movie, right? Yes. And then you had um, Under the Skin, which was very much so led by strings, and it was very just kind of like this um, more vibey. Again, it's A24, so yeah. <laughs> very just like vibey strings is how I would say that if I had to just give it um, a very short description and then Suspiria was was a little bit closer to Studio 666 only in its music style not in anything else mm-hmm. um because it was done by Goblin right yeah. another yeah prog rock prog bands. rock so it's you know at least in that umbrella term rock <laughs> so yeah, yeah so that was a little bit similar and then last week we talked about Ghost of Mars with you know um horror and rock music nerd John Carpenter, right? So yeah. we got a rock metal score from that. So mm-hmm. so we've talked a lot about like rock music in horror films and how that um, connects with uh, horror, horror uh, narratives and everything. And then we've got the vibey strings from Under the Skin. And then this is completely different because it's under that subgenre of folk horror. So we've yeah. got these folksy songs, and also, again, this is presented more like a traditional musical um, structure. Yes. Where... It is closer to two acts than three, for sure. Yeah. And what I'll say about about general soundtracking of movies, because... So it's, it's almost like splitting hairs here, but here's the difference, in my opinion. Between uh, scoring a movie where you're obviously using the music to to promote a certain rise from your audience or a certain feeling to provoke that, right? Yeah. In a musical structure, you are not provoking something from the audience. Okay. Specifically. Right. Like in in a traditionally when you're scoring a movie, that's kind of like your your goal there. In a musical structure, you're more so following the character that's in that scene right then, and you are using the music to further get across what that character is feeling, which then does provoke the audience, but it's through the lens of that character as opposed to the lens of the movie as a whole. Sure, okay, yeah. So that's what I mean by this follows more of a musical structure, aside from them like breaking into song. Yeah, yeah, um, I get that. That's, a, that's an interesting take. I like it. The music in this definitely follows Neil Howey. And what he is feeling and how he's discovering all of these things um, through this island and kind of like what seals his fate and all of that, as opposed to just doing underscore, trying to provoke or promote feelings from the audience. Right. Um, and I find that I find that really interesting. And again, I think that it, it definitely stems from Paul Giamatti wanting to do theater. Yeah, I think that's right. Theater. I think that's exactly right. Yeah. Um, 
no, I mean, this, there's so much good about this movie. Um, the music is definitely what drew us to it, to covering it. I've seen this a couple times. It's never not great for me. Um, I think now people look at it as like kind of goofy and campy, and it is, but it's not. It's it's done in all seriousness. Yeah. Um, and I do love that it mocks this like puritanical version of Christianity and this like movement away from our old gods, because we as we. As everybody here knows, we're both huge Neil Gaiman fans, and particularly of the book American Gods. Mm-hmm. And a lot of his work, uh, including like Sandman and things like that, directly talks about the old gods and like why we lost them and how we lost them and things like that, right? And what that cost us to lose. Definitely, and like like we you know said earlier in this uh, episode, this definitely set the precedent for so many of people's like favorite horror films now like again midsummer like it follows pretty much the exact same narrative except you're adding more people you've got um and your may queen has more agency right in midsummer yeah and it's it's her movie not not his movie it's not christian's movie it's um Florence Pugh's character. Why am I blanking on her I name? I can't remember her name right now either, but it's fine. Yeah. Um, go back and listen to our Midsummer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it also, did, like the the scene where we have all the naked women jumping over the fire, hoping to become impregnated by the fire gods. Um, That's dope, by the yeah. way. <laughs> Fuck yeah. And yeah, right? <laughs> Chris <laughs> like really even you, says, like the, his character, Summer say says that. He's like, wouldn't you rather have the son of a god? Yeah. So, yeah. I saw Hercules. <laughs> I think you mean Hercules. Hey. Once a week, we got to make that joke. No, there's just certain jokes we come back to. It just happens. Fertile soil, just like the Summer Isle. So, <laughs> but that that particular scene um, inspired Robert Eggers with the with the witch. Right. The yes. final scene in the witch is a direct reference to that. I mean, God, it's there. I you can just sit there and point to shots and go, "That's in that movie. That's in that movie. That's in that movie." Like it's all over Hot Fuzz. Yeah. Um. It's every great horror film and a lot of shitty ones have been inspired by this movie. It is, like I said, it's the source material for how you do a folk horror film, um, like Midsummer or like uh, Hot Fuzz, but it's just so. There's nothing else like it to me. It is a singular film. It is unique. Yeah. No, it it definitely is. Um, And I think... I think even stripping the aesthetics away from it, the the structure of the movie has been used in so many different ways since this movie came out as well, where you're kind of just following... It's almost like a mystery. You're following the person who's trying to solve the mystery, and then in the end, the joke's on them, and that's when it becomes... Such a good twist. Yeah, it's it's a twist. And so I think that, yeah, you even strip away all of the aesthetics from it, all of the, you know, everything, and you just have the skeleton of the movie. That skeleton has been used in several movies since, and maybe before it as well, but I do think think that this regardless of what came before it was a certain landmark in in horror filmmaking and specifically if we want to get you know more specific adding those aesthetics back on it's specifically folk horror yeah so and it's it it's so great because like the it's a folk horror film that involves folk music right it's the most sought out symbiotic yeah in in the horror genre this vinyl is one of the more um 
Dude, I have, a tra- I have it tracked on Discogs. <laughs> <laughs> I want it so bad, but it's so goddamn expensive. <laughs> yeah. Because everybody who has it, it's like, yeah, no. They know mine. what they have. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, there's... We should talk about the cinematography a bit. Yeah. Um, I was looking for what it was shot on. I don't have solid information on that, but it looks like an anamorphic format mm-hmm. like Carpenter uses. Yeah. Because it's, it's got a really beautiful widescreen format. Right. So um, it's got to be, yeah, it's got to be at least over 234 mm-hmm. um, to one. So it, and that's, I think, really serves the film. Even in the tight shots, they feel, so here's a, here's a film nerd thing. I haven't done this in a while. Um, <laughs> really? When you, yeah, right. Um, Shocking. When you have a wide format and shoot a tight shot, it makes you feel claustrophobic. Yeah. Right. You've talked about this before. Yeah. yeah. But it's, it's been a while since I brought it up, and it's perfectly used in this movie to me. Yeah. I think Waxman did a fantastic job of this. Um, so th- that's why I think it's an anamorphic format, even though I couldn't find what it was actually shot on. Um, so the scene where he sees the field orgy, right? Yeah. That is a v- not a wide shot. It focuses on individual couples while showing bits of the other couples in the frame, which you can only achieve with a wide format, right? Yeah. What's amazing about that is it you feel his fear and revulsion because of the way it's shot right those aren't horny shots they're not you're like you barely see titties but you're what you're watching is well one women in power right for sure like the men are all lying on the ground the women are the ones who are in the uh uh controlling role right tops yeah yeah they're topping all these men they're riding them hard riding them dirty because there's mud um but because you see each couple individually, but always have a fraction of the couple in frame, it makes you feel like, oh, like you, one, that makes you feel like you're there, and it makes you agree with him. Yeah. Because he is, even if you don't, like we all, we were just making fun of him the whole time, calling him a nerd and a virgin. But right. <laughs> it's, it, it's a way that you can visually trick your audience into agreeing with the main character, whether you actually do or not. Yeah. Right. It's a way of it's a way of creating like sympathy or empathy. I can't remember which one's right there. Uh, that makes you yeah agree. It, it gives you the sense of the protagonist, right? Yeah. And that's why shooting in those formats is so clever. Like instead of using a shaky cam or a handy cam or like a, even a steady cam, you're using a, a framed shot. Yeah. And it's an isomorphic shot, right? It doesn't move. Yes. Uh, only the things within the shot move. And that's what makes it really, really clever. It happens again when we, sh- uh, in the, the dance sequence, the wall scene. Yeah. Because you're watching him respond to her and it's the, it's the same wall, basically. I mean, they're against the wall together, but he is buttoned up and sweating, but he starts unbuttoning his pajamas She's fully nude and just like raving on this wall. But because those cuts are so sharp and because they're so mirrored but contrasted, you get this beautiful claustrophobic and like tense scene. Yeah. And I definitely, I definitely want to tie this back to the idea of Howie's um, repressed sexuality and how Mm -hmm. this movie kind of um, talks a lot about that. And again, talks about how how Christianity has kind of taken on this idea of abstinence, but Jesus fucked. Yeah. As we said at the top of the, of the episode. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and also I, I'm, I want to tie this into, um, 
the scoring of this film as well. Go um, for it. There's a it. so a writer at M Files, I believe. We'll 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 link it, of course, in the uh, sources um, of this episode. Uh, Laura Thomas said about the uh, the montage of when he's like searching the house mm-hmm. is what I is is the passage that I want to pull from. So. Um, She says, the montage of Howie's house searching is completed by the use of a maddening musical cocktail, including strings playing a droned folk jig, a single guitar loudly asserting its authority over the strings, and finally, a child singing an acapella rendition of Baba Black Sheep. Yeah. The last section is made all the more sinister by the two principal images it ties together. A child's toy clown and the nude librarian seductively draped in her bathtub. A thumb coyly bitten between her smile. At this sight, the child song abruptly ends, replaced by a recorder resuming the same tune in a minor key. The folk song from the rehearsal, the accordion phrase from earlier in the montage, and a panicked heavy string section. The musical signaling of a catastrophe at the scene's finale, and this image returns our thoughts to the film's strong focus on Howie's deeply repressed sexuality. God, that's so well put. Yeah. Good job, Laura. I know, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to... We're going to put this in the... You guys should definitely read this entire review um, because it's it's all centered around the music and it really breaks down the scenes and kind of gives you a more in-depth um, breakdown of that. But I think that that is a perfect example, though, of centering it around Howie and Howie's feelings. And again, we're following him throughout the movie and that's why this takes on a, a more musical theater, you know, right, um, right. structure. Yeah, the music follows his journey. And his journey of, you know, repressed sexuality, because a lot of modern day, even, you know, Christianity is really based in fear. Um, and control, yeah. And control. Um, I think that those are very similar things. Um, one normally comes with the other. Um, and I think it's really interesting how afraid he is of, you know, he thinks that they, these are all, you know, sinners just because they've found their sexual freedom and their... You know, all of, all of these things. And I really love this kind of cacophony of musical elements that kind of you have the childlike sound, you know, singing Baba Black Sheep. And it's kind of like the release of an inner child sort of thing. Right. And then so and and um, and then you've got the opposite of that, of like sexy naked lady. You know right, what I mean? Right, like right. being removal very of sexual, innocence. removal of innocence. You've got, there's a lot going on. Like, right. obviously, with what I just read, I think encapsulates it perfectly. And yeah, that's, it's it's definitely one of those movies that if you dig, you're going to find more, which exactly. is really cool. Yeah, because like, I'm sitting here now thinking about like, I love that this is, this could be read as a commentary on colonization. Definitely. Right? So that's what, when I, going back to Neil Gaiman and American Gods, that's his commentary in that movie is, or in that, uh, that book is because we let the new gods take away our old ones. Yeah. We are not let, we were forced to, right? Uh, that's the better way to put it, is that we were, uh, I, I, at least, you know, my family now comes from like colonized areas of the country or world. And to remove the paganism or, to, which always sounds so judgmental when you say it, but like to remove what was and what has been and what we have believed for millennia and assert a new one true God yeah. is absurd. Like even it's mildly controversial, but a lot of um, original Jewish faith, it there's a lot of interpretations of Jewish faith that say um, there is the one true God, but there are a shit ton of other gods. Yeah. Like it is 
technically polytheistic. It's just that you don't worship the other ones, right? Yeah. But all the other gods exist. And it's a very pre-colonial way of thinking. And I like that. And so this movie does act like that because they appear to be correct, right? Yeah. They, uh, the, the, it, 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 there's a great, the, the, that whole scene, the first scene at Lord Summer Isle's, uh, mansion mm-hmm. or castle or whatever is fantastic because you one Christopher Lee is just a, a, a enormous actor yeah literally and figuratively um but I love the moment when he when how he's like what about the one true god and he goes he like he it's after he's sorry he says like uh Christopher Lee's character Samurai is like here the old gods are not dead they live and walk amongst us yeah and Howie says, but what about the one true God? He is dead. Yeah. And that's when Howie just gets all in a huff and like starts to storm out. Um, but I think it's fantastic. Like That's such a cool way of playing this movie. Yeah. And then I think that's what Lee was getting at. Because Lee definitely was playing with some paganism in his life. I, I think that dude believed in the old gods. Like yeah, when you look at he's his... He's so excited about this movie. I mean, yeah, yeah. To his, and Woodward also thinks it's his best film. Yeah. Um, Sergeant Howie... Um, even said that he's. He said the final shot is the greatest final shot of any film ever. Yeah, and I. It's hard to disagree. Just the power with which that they all deliver in the scene. Everybody. That's we talk about movies where everybody showed up and uh, knew the assignment. Mm-hmm. This feels like that. Even though they were told it was a musical halfway through filming. Right. Uh, which I think is hilarious. Good prank, Hardy. <laughs> but uh, no, I, I. This is just a movie where everybody did their fucking job correctly. Yeah, no, it's, it's... I can't imagine I, this going another way. Which yeah. is why the 2006 remake is so bad. Like, the ideas... I, I, It's not a good movie. It's just poorly made. I love Nick Cage as an actor. I love Ellen Burstyn as an actor. Sometimes I see what they were going happen. with. Yeah, I see you what know? they were going with, but it was just a... It was a worse idea. Like, they took a great idea and made it worse, you know? Yeah. The, the way they changed the plot structure and everything was just foolish. Um, there's a lot of like different twists and turns that aren't necessary. Like the original twist is sufficient. I still get so excited every time I see it. You know, that's the, that's to me the definition of a good twist is when it doesn't matter if you know it's coming. Every time you see it, you're like, you still get some of that feeling of just like, hell yeah, nicely done. It's like when Michael Myers like disappears at the end of Halloween, right? Yeah. Or like when he rises back up or whatever, like any of those moments that you, or like when the thing in the thing, when it, it jumps out. You're still excited about that moment, right? Definitely. So yeah, I think that's that's one of the many reasons I love this film is just that it's it's structured very well and every piece of it lands. It works. This movie knows exactly what it is, and I think it set out to do one th- one specific thing, and it did it absolutely perfectly. Yeah, I honestly have zero notes on this movie. And then it um, inspired many things to come. Yeah, so. it's a shame that there's only the incomplete cut left. They, we've never uh, gotten the full complete cut. Yeah, I heard that a lot of the deleted scenes got like ruined or something. I don't know. There's something it, the, some the weird. The original is drama. lost. Yeah, yeah some the, weird the drama original about reel that. is lost. Um, but yeah, I mean that's really all I have to say on this film. Um, go read that article that we're gonna link. Um, I think that she did a really thorough review on this. If you want to mm-hmm. kind of dive deeper into, I guess, like the music theory of it all. Um, but yeah. That concludes our soundtracks at Slap Month. Thank you guys so much for joining us on this journey. Um, I think what we pretty much learned to kind of tie it up in a nice bow is that there are many things that make a soundtrack that slaps. It it does not have to take on one form. Right. It can be music that slaps that's been added to an already great film, or it can really inform what's happening in the film, or 
it can be used in this like musical uh, structure where it's just helping us follow the journey more of our main protagonist, of our yeah. main character. I will say 80% of these movies had a band assembled for the film. And I think that's definitely something that helps make a soundtrack slap. Because you had, yeah. um, uh, what was the name in Studio 666? It keeps it cohesive. Goblin Witch or whatever it was. No, Goblin was uh, the band. They weren't assembled for the movie. They were their own band, but like they were hired to do that yeah. specifically. John Carpenter made his little metal super group. Yeah. <laughs> Magnet is not a band outside of this movie. Yeah. yeah. And the the faux band from uh, Studio 666 was the Foo Fighters and some other folks. <laughs> it certainly it certainly helps. Um, and, you know, just because this is the end of this month does not mean that we will not continue to talk about soundtracks that slap. We'll, we'll definitely be tying in um, movies that come out, movies that, you know. Um, yeah. I'm really hoping that Studio 666 maybe created a little bit of a trend and we get more things like that because I think that that movie was just so insanely fun. Yeah, I'm um, really, I really that it, it, I hope it's a thing that we get every now and again. Totally. So this is not this is not goodbye. This is <laughs> see you later. <laughs> so long for now. So long for now. Um, for T-T-Y-L. our for our soundtracks and slap. Thank you for allowing us to be the music nerds that we are. We are both very big music fans in general. Yeah. I've I know listened to Prince of Egypt three times this week. <laughs> I know that, that that sounds like a weird thing to say, but we've both studied music because we love it so much and mm-hmm. we continue to practice it. So thank you guys for listening to us nerd out once more. <laughs> and on that note, you guys know where to find us. We're on Instagram at Horror Babes Podcast. We're on Twitter at Horror Babes Pod. We have a website, horrorbabespod.com. If you're enjoying us, feel free to give us a little rating review on iTunes. Tell your friends all that good stuff. And I do just want to shout out the two musicians who support this podcast the most, just because this is our soundtracks at Slap mo- uh, Month. Thank you so much to Carrie Baines, a.k.a. FS Chill. Yes. I love you. Thank you so much for your insights. I love texting with you about music nerd shit. And, of course, shout out to the amazing Seth Haken uh, for composing our very own theme song. Yes. Which is indeed a soundtrack that slaps. Exactly. We would not settle for anything less. So thank you, Seth. And thank you, Carrie of course, for being such wonderful supporters of this podcast and being dope-ass musicians. And good friends. Yes. So until next time. Bye, bye babes. babes. Hey, babe. Yeah, babe.